Hello everyone, welcome to the Ruach Podcast, episode 3 and part 3 of the Creation Relation miniseries. to episode three and part three of the Creation Relation mini-series. I am Taylor and I am here with Megan. Hi everybody. And uh, yeah, so today we're going to kind of conclude this part three or this little mini-series on creation and our relationship to it uh, through just a dialogue between her and I. And we're going to kind of uh, talk about what we, you know, briefly discussed in our first podcast, um, as well as we're just going to kind of dive into uh, new ideas or other things as well as, as they come along um, in discussing these uh, this topic. So to begin, I, I will say that, uh, you know, this creation relation um, idea and and the importance of it has been in the back of our minds for quite a while and we've talked about it privately um, between ourselves and uh, after you know even just before the coronavirus stuff we were kind of talking about doing something along these lines and when it first really hit January you know in China and then February uh, one of the things that her and I were discussing was just how much we felt like some of this had to do with the earth and just we felt intuitively like hey there's just going to be a lot of signs and creation and just different things that are taking place uh, that will kind of just kind of confirm our Holy Spirit intuitive flow and of course we've seen you know some interesting things kind of take place since a lot of this stuff is broken out. We've seen, you know, the water is clear in the Venice canals. Uh, we've seen, um, you know, pollution, the, the satellite imagery of the pollution over cities drastically change. And uh, just certain industries and whatnot that were really hurting the earth have kind of started to take a little bit of a hit. Um, of course, um, you know, we don't want anyone to die or to get sick or, uh, you know, to, to go through some sort of you know, economic hell, you know, in the name of um, environmental, you know, upswing, I guess you could say. You know, that's it's just one trade off for another, but they can both work hand in hand. You know, a care for the earth and a care for creation can go in hand with wanting there to be, you know, economic stability and growth for um, the world at large. So that's kind of a heart. And again, you know, I've talked about in other podcasts. Again, we're not trying to make this a political issue. We're not trying to talk about global warming or whatever you uh, or or or, you know, go vegan or anything like that. Um, We're not trying to make this political. We're trying to make this well, it came out of our own relationships with the Holy Spirit and and what we were shown in the life of Jesus, but also uh, his heart for the world and his heart for creation. And so this isn't a political thing for us again. Um, this is a very real thing that has incredible impact on so many people's lives. And our spiritual practices are, you know, intrinsically connected to the way that we not only treat the other, um, but when we talk about the other, she says in her first podcast, capital L other, we're talking about the collective other, not just how we're treating humans, but also just how we're treating all things in creation. And all of those things are reflection of the spirit's work in our life. Mm -hmm. So is there anything you want to kind of jump in on that? Yeah. One thing I think that's you definitely brought up and I can build on is things that we've seen change i think one 
a really interesting one being in um, um, American culture is many of us are disconnected from the way our food is processed and taking advantage of access to things on a daily basis. And I think that has been one really positive um, result or one positive move in terms of um, the body's awareness in terms of not just the Christian body, but humanity at large, especially here in the States. You know, when we go to the grocery store, we just expect things to be there. And when it's not, or when you have to strategize at what time of day you're going to go, or you have to adjust your weekly favorite foods, or, you know, your kids have to adjust to um, maybe all the dry goods are gone and everybody's eating apples for four days, you know, whatever it may be, these small adjustments that are like little shocks in, in our daily lives that I think have such a, a weight of invitation to us and they may seem small I mean you know there's a lot uh, bigger things happening in terms of how this is impacting the world and sickness and death and um, uh, how people are dealing with this in a variety of ways but these small things whatever we're dealing with wherever we are are also invitations and I think that's been one really cool thing to see yeah I totally agree and, um, you know, again, we don't we don't want there to be necessarily this chaos um, and, and death and destruction right. in the world. Uh, but, you know, there will be good that comes out of this and, and is taking place. And, and again, I think people are, you know, at least in where we are in our neighborhood, we see way more people out on walks than mm-hmm. they used to be. Um, and, you know, we, we're just going to see more and more people. Uh, you know, recognize the beauty and the fragility of their existence. And um, although at times that can be a very scary realization, it is part of the miracle of existing. It's part of the miracle of being alive. It's a part of the miracle of breathing and your heart's pounding and you've got all these things happening inside of you and your brain's shooting off all these different crazy signals and, you know, bringing in all of this light into your eyes and you're seeing this world and it's it's just this whole collective of you know a miracle that's taking place at each moment that passes right and i think that's like the thread of interconnectedness is what we're talking about if you pull out one aspect of it for example going to the grocery store not finding what you need or what you normally get you pull that one thread out and all of a sudden you see everything that's connected to everything else. And that's, I think, also a part of, of being in a, in a creation relation in a new way and developing our sensitivity to that, like you said in, in your wonderful episode. Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, you know, I really want to get into is... Um, you know, a lot of people in the, in this sort of mystical movement, uh, for the most part, like a lot of the leaders or a lot of voices that are heard are specifically, you know, male. Um, so, you know, clearly there's a shift happening in the world. And um, one of those things being we are definitely coming into an era where the woman is going to be more prominent and brought into a place of um, rulership. And so for you as a woman, because I think this is also part of the reason why we really want to be doing these is because I personally want to hear your perspective. I know you don't speak for all women, but, um, you know, there is still that that um, relational aspect inside Mm -hmm. of you where you can generate that from. But as a woman, you know, how do you um, navigate the uh the the creation relation um aspect in terms of um in terms of the rulership question that we talked about and how has i guess you could say the patriarchy in some ways how is that you know, maybe impacted, how did that impact you growing up in your understanding of creation and now coming more into, 
you could say the divine feminine, if you want to put it that way, but more of like the mothership of God. How does that now, you know, how did that change and how does that play into your role of understanding creation and your relationship to it? Wow, starting with a doozy. What a loaded question. <laughs> it's a really good one. Um, well, to the first part of the question before the before the personal anecdotes, I guess the one thing that has really helped me, um, you know, you asked about being a woman in these conversations and how to how to formulate that and connect with that and how do I experience it? Was that the first part of the question? Yeah, it's something, yeah, something like that. So um, for me, one major aspect, which is why I chose to kind of structure the, the first episode in the way that I did was because vocabulary is really important to me and not just because I love words, but because I think that words really are, and this is, Dr. O's quote that they are the linguistic structure of they structure the universe linguistics structure the universe and what he means by that he's talked about it at length in various um in various contexts but how I'm applying it is that it really does determine what we do and how we do it so by focusing and choosing to use different words, so for example, like the tend and cultivate and, um, and keep, those types of agricultural metaphors, which are very similar to those used by Jesus, by the way, are really, really helpful for, for me <clears throat> in terms of, of shifting my perspective of how we do do this creation thing um there's an interaction in agriculture that farmers know way more about than i do but there's an interaction and an exchange that is so much deeper than just someone sitting upon this you know lofty seat distant from um, you know, his medieval peasants in the lands far away, you know, just kind of this medieval perspective that we often put on all biblical texts and even a lot of visions that we see. It's just not um, all there is. I think there is an element to that and we can be sitting on thrones and, um, but actually there's more to it than that. We see Jesus as ruler in Revelation like you talked about, but one of the most underplayed um, images is the lamb slain. And the lamb's actually before the throne. So we even, we, we can get into that at another time, but even that in and of itself, the lamb isn't even sitting on the throne. And it's still exposing its wound and its vulnerability. So that's how I would kind of frame up the first part of the question is shifting our vocabulary. Um, because I think that's the first step. It was for me in a lot of ways. So instead of, you know, maybe using the words of dominion, it's tend, it's keep, it's those other sort of linguistic uh, symbols mm -hmm. to generate the ideas within ourselves to how we're supposed to relate. Because it's true, like if you think about it, you know, if I think of dominion, I definitely think of myself as um, as a complete, incomplete control in some ways, mm -hmm. a dictator over this whole system. But at the end of the day, it's kind of an illusory ideal because, uh, you know, if it were to give out itself, like if it were to no longer produce I would die or mm -hmm. I would not be able to live in the way that I would want to have lived. So I am in relationship to it. It provides for me as I provide for it. So in the tend to keep um, and those sort of linguistic catchphrases, uh, you get a better idea of that interconnected relational aspect that one has with the natural world that is not only 
you know, there for your enjoyment to look at, but is also serving you to live upon this earth. And that's why I think we're, we're so interested and why we're so invested in, in this topic is because um, there comes a point where you kind of wake up from your own delusion and you realize this place is beautiful and it is a gift and we have to keep it for the next generations and if we destroy it then you know that i want to say judgment but that responsibility falls on not only yourself but the collective of generations that led to that initial collapse so um it's not to say that the earth isn't smart or the earth isn't alive or that the things could shift uh, but it is asking us and I think Christians specifically Christians should be the ones leading the charge for the the taking care of the earth like we shouldn't be the ones last in line to care that the rainforest is being destroyed right that's ridiculous especially the mystics like we should be in front of the line saying no this is not good this hurts um this hurts everyone. And if we just put our heads in the sand or just put our heads up in the clouds, so to speak, and we don't pay attention to what is really taking place on the earth, both not obviously environmentally, but also with other humans. But if we don't, then, you know, what really is our mysticism and our spirituality really producing? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that comes to my mind in talking about that is I can hear kind of the the rolodex of answers maybe i would have said in the past according to like my old worldview and one of them is well what about the fall and you know didn't creation fall and isn't that relationship broken between us and the earth now um and doesn't that change our relationship to it and you know aren't we just waiting for the new earth to come along and have it all be better again um well, not not really, as you talk about in your episode, but one thing that comes to my mind is um, in Genesis during kind of the series of uh, results that come after Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, the results of that that God says is one of them is for Adam to till the soil but one thing we always pass over is it says, till the soil, you will till the soil or till the Adama from whence you came. And I think that line is so pivotal and so important because even in this quote fallen state, the connection is still there and the relationship remains and actually um, maybe part of the way of restoring both of us back to wholeness meaning Adam as the collective human and Adama as the earth. Mm, that's really good. So what, okay, so going back then, we're talking about Adam and, and, and all of that. Um, so again, how do you feel like the feminine life-giving, you know, archetype, I guess you could say, of the woman, the the child bearer, the one that gives birth to the world, the one that brings life. How do you see that idea and that role coming into the creation um, relation, uh, symbiotic relationship? Mm. Well, one part, I think, is um, a series of problematic translations and problematic misreadings of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, I think that those have, we could talk about that for a long time, but one example is um, we, always, we always read Adam or Adam. It's normally just translated in our text as man or the man. But actually in both cases, the first Adam, meaning every time that Adam is mentioned, it is masculine and feminine every time. So it shouldn't be translated man. It should be translated the human. Mm. Otherwise, we're thinking 
it's, you know, a man walking around. And then, you know, woman was hidden in this rib or maybe it was, you know, some feminine quality that was sitting in his rib and that's what got removed. But that's not the reality. This human, this Adam is fully masculine and fully feminine both times um, until in the first Genesis account in Genesis 1, God says, um, let us make them male, uh, male and female. We have created them. You have the distinction there, but in that first human, in that first Adam, it's in, it, it's entailing both. It contains both. And I say it because we don't have a pronoun that's gender neutral. So it, okay, the human. Then when by the time we get to Genesis 2, the human that's walking around is both male and female. Completely. The Adam that is naming the animals, the Adam that's taking part in all of these, quote, masculine things that we always attribute to the man, um, the feminine was there. Eve mm-hmm. was there. The woman was there the that's whole really time. Good. It was never separate. Um, we only have that distinction when uh, when God puts Adam to sleep and he removes the woman or moves removes a side that's selah we say rib but it's really like a side so removes a side from adam from the human and now we have ish and isha man and woman but adam in its primordialness is masculine and feminine yeah that's really good so Hence why I love the words. It really, it's so loaded and you just wouldn't know. And so much of this is not our fault. You know, I don't blame, I don't blame us because how could we know based on our translations, you know? Right. I mean, most people, you know, they just kind of read the King James. Sure. You know, like we're just in the last 20 years, thanks to the ESV really, and some of the NIV stuff, even though it's not the best translation in the 90s. Um, But some of these... newer translations kind of weaned us off this old these old systems uh that were you know translated in certain ways and really impact they really did impact consciousness and they really did impact the way people perceived one another Uh, like you said like you know you guys don't know my wife megan here she's a hebrew scholar so she knows hebrew and, and whatnot so you know one of the things that she has a privilege of seeing and by the way, she has a Hebrew, Learn Hebrew Academy, if you want to learn Hebrew. And in a couple of weeks, she's going to be doing a free, two free classes. And if any, if anyone wants to donate anything um, for the free classes, it's going to go towards refugees and uh, tree, planting. tree planting in the, South America. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, spread the word. So, um. You know, she can see the original intention or some of the or an idea of what the original intention would have been in its uh, creation, um, you know, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, because she can see the other, you know, she can read the actual Hebrew and the Hebrew itself lends itself in a different way than some of our English translations have what they've done and what they've said. And, um, you know, so one of the beautiful things, like you just said, that just blew my mind is you're right. It goes from Adam to Ish and Isha. And so that distinction is relevant. And, um, you know, one of the things that people talk about as well is that, you know, so what do you think about then about Eve being the mother of the living? Eve as the mother of the living. Well, this is, um, I'm trying to remember. Well, we, let's just go and look at it. Is that fine? Can we go and click and just look at it really quick? Yeah, go for it. What do you normally think of when you think the mother of the living? Me? Yeah. Where does that come from for you? Oh, man. Um, that's a good question. I guess I kind of like picture like some like 
like this plant looking human woman thing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you know i guess that's like the archetype that arises in my mind when i start thinking about it <clears throat> from all the jungle movies you watch probably <laughs> all the jungle movies i've watched <laughs> yeah i i can totally see that okay look what want to do i'll i'll show you what's there yeah um because i had to just double check that my initial thought was right Okay, so where do we first have Eve as the mother of the living come up? This is after the quote curses. She's not named um, by Adam or by the man, actually. It says it's still Ha-Adam, so it's still the man. The man named his wife Chava, Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And this, um, this happens after the curses. And it's a really interesting placement because you're wondering, wait a second, didn't they just get in major trouble? Um, aren't they condemned to die and surely die? How is this a you know great time to call her the mother of all the living? Um, and I think, um, at least my first intuitive thought without studying it extensively is that I think that it has to do with the childbirth. I think that humans were brought into a different world, or were brought into the world in a different way, pre-curses and post-curses. Um, so I think it has something to do with that, that there's like a, an, a connection to her giving birth through, uh, through, through, and alongside suffering and having it be paired with suffering. Um, that would be my first thought. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting then that also the prophecy about the woman being, you know, her, that she'll crush the serpent's head. So what do you think that's? Her seed. Her seed, I should say. You're right. Her mm-hmm. seed will crush the serpent's head. So mm-hmm. it's clear that the living, that which is alive, that which preserves life is what crushes the serpent's head mm-hmm. and yeah it's just you know life itself like i mean obviously we in a christian context we read back and we read and we say that's jesus you know um being the seed that crushes the serpent's head but on another level without necessarily having to take the christian lens and obviously we can always do that but kind of just moving that to the side but looking at it from another dimension you know, it is about life. Mm. It's about life. Life is coming in. And life is the thing that's um, that's essentially weeding out the very thing that is ensnaring us. I love that. So. I, uh, I, I think it is significant that it is her seed. Because um, way more often you hear of you know, Abraham's seed, the man's seed, take care of your seed, don't do this with your seed, don't do that with your seed. Um, There's a lot of attention given to the man's seed, but here we have a really important um, key verse that talks about the woman's seed and what that is and what its impact is on, like you said, preserving the living and also at the same time, um, if I can use my own smackdown word, subduing the the destructive mm-hmm. in the world yeah so moving forward i guess looking forward and instead of looking back but looking forward now you know put on your intuitive goggles here how do you see the role of the woman and its relationship to the earth moving forward let's just say historically but in within this contemporary era How do you see some of that, you know, kind of unraveling or playing out? I think it already is. And I think we're so in the middle of it. Um, I think Christians are just behind and it's it's not the first time. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) It's not the first time that Christians have been behind. Um, But we really are. We really are. And women are active in so many intuitive, productive and life-giving spheres uh, right now and Christians are just kind of behind on the uptake um, 
So how it looks in a Christian context, I think is is going to be largely um, dependent probably on how how much men are willing to open up, huh? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Um and how how worthwhile they see the fruit of it. Mm. Because really at the end of the day, if you think that what's on the other side is worth it, you're going to put your ego aside and you're going to give up some of your power cuz you see what's what's coming is greater. Um and that'll be interesting to see. It's definitely happening happening in some circles for sure and in a lot of Christian circles. It's not every single Christian is anti-woman. I'm not saying that in any way. Um, but by and large, Christian institutions are still dominated, using dominion, by this masculine voice and hand. And... Um, yeah, I think that it really is in the hands of the men to um, to ask themselves what they want to see really in the future for their seed um, and for themselves. But also, I think it has to do um, with the woman's integration into other spheres. So typically... Um, at least what I am seeing and feeling is that the, <laughs> if, if, if a mom is in her front yard and she's calling her kids in for a snack, if they're playing with other neighbor kids, the other neighbor kids are coming in for a snack too. She's not going to send them back to their own house and say, all right, snack time, you go home to your mom, you know everyone in that moment is her child and she feeds them all and I think that that's a move in Christianity that we need to see happen and I see that coming from the woman um but unfortunately women now have have also taken on a lot of this um exclusive hard-heartedness just as a result of being um pushed down and influenced by what what humanity has cultivated and what um, uh, overly masculine dominated systems have created. Um, so I do think it involves both parties, but just in different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. No, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. The imagery talking about the woman taking care of everyone too. I think that's a, I think that's a beautiful picture of what is coming and what is unfolding. And can I ask you a follow-up question? Yeah, go for it. How do you feel being a man on this side of this conversation? I mean, you're with me every day, and I know we have these conversations all the time, but how does it feel to be a man in these conversations on a broader level, and how do you see your role in, in what's coming to putting on your intuitive goggles? Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question. Um, I, in terms of specifically the creation relation aspect or in terms of the woman kind of coming out or like what, what specifically more so the latter. Yeah. The woman stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I admit that I probably am not in the, like the majority of men, obviously, uh, in terms of like how I, I'm cool. Like I'm totally cool with women, you know, coming into positions of power. And I think that has a large part to do with the fact that I grew up with two sisters, um, all my cousins on both sides of my family growing up as a kid. Uh, and it wasn't until much later, uh, that I had like a, a, a male cousin, but all my cousins from my mom's side and my dad's side, they were all girls. So I was always growing up around girls. Um, you know, but I obviously, I love sports. I was very much a, a boy's boy, um, through and through, but I, learned at an early age to appreciate the feminine and like my first real I guess you could say spiritual um, mentor I guess you could say uh, you know when I was in my early 20s was a woman and that was she was the one that you know really helped me you know, open up and show me, you know, a whole new world of, of Christian spirituality um, when I was looking for communities within that 
um, arena. And she really helped guide me along that process. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I essentially submitted myself to a, a woman right off the bat um, after, uh, you know, waking up <clears throat> in Christ. So I, I, I personally just have never felt really uncomfortable um, in any capacity. And I think that's just been part of like God's grace, really the divine's grace over me and has shifted me and brought me through all these different sort of life experiences to, to allow me to see the importance of, uh, the feminine. And so I kind of feel like I'm a little bit on like the, um, the event horizon, and I see what's coming. And so for me, I know I see how important it is, how much it will shift consciousness, how much it will shift people's idea of who God is, what God can be. Um, it's going to redefine what we even mean by chaos because, you know, people have a very negative idea of, of the waters of chaos. Like that's like the woman, right? That's the archetypal idea. Um, and so it's it's being, and it has been, you know, done by some of these uh, symbolic interpreters that are still stuck in like modernist paradigms. But, you know, what we mean by the waters, what we mean by the womb, um, you know, isn't necessarily, yes, it, it, it can be scary. And yes, it doesn't necessarily um, have have the the structure of the, you know, masculine grounding, so to speak, if we're speaking completely, you know, archetypally. But you know, the, the waters are potential. The waters are, um, the possibility it's, a, it's about bringing something new into the world. And so I think the woman is going to bring and is bringing something new into the world. And, and it's not even necessarily that it's specifically the woman, woman itself, but it's even just the, the feminine within men. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not that men need to become women or that men need to become wholly feminine. It's not that. It's just that, you know, for us to really move where we need to go, especially in the church where, where the Holy Spirit really wants us to move and go and grow. Um, you know, men specifically, they have to really learn how to sensitize themselves and they need to learn how to feel and they need to learn how to not only think not only just be a deep thinker or a deep protector or a deep provider they need to learn and they all are deep feelers they just have ignored it but they need to learn how to feel and and intuit and um, those aspects you know will greatly shift the way that men treat women um, and obviously the for the majority of the, the Christian church in America, right? Specifically, we're not really talking about the charismatic world specifically, but, and even there too, though, but like, you know, there is a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. And there are still a lot, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of scriptural, um, what I would consider uh, misuse. You know, we we take, and this I think is perfect, you know, segue when you talk about this, but we take, Pauline ideas that were very specific to a certain group at a very specific point in time that does not take into account the whole context of the role of women within the early church. And, you know, they use it to uh, give themselves, to push themselves into positions of power and, and then demean the other. And in no way, that's what Jesus was doing. Um, so those scriptural, that scriptural abuse, I will call it, the scriptural abuse will shift as more people become educated, more people understand what these things are being, what the, what's being said. As more people are get open to the Holy Spirit, as more people have encounters with, with Christ, um, they will realize that these ideas that have like a virus that that runs through our programming in our system that has propagated this um, destructive behavior towards the other, you know, is is starting to unravel. And if you are struggling with this and you really think that men, you know, 
are the dominant, I guess you could say, the alpha of the two sexes. Um, then I will say this, you will be left behind. You are, you, you will not... You're not going to like there, there really is a shifting that the spirits are doing and um, that's fine. You can be left behind. That's cool. You can hang out in, in, in the old wineskin by all means drink from it. Um, but in terms of what, where the spirits going and how the spirits shifting and changing the world, uh, this is part of the awakening and this is part of the unraveling and this is part of the process. Mm. So, and I see a lot of times too, like one of the biggest criticisms is, well, women just want to be in positions of power. Look at women do this now. Look at women do this now. The pendulum was so was 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 so one-dimensional and it was so hyperinflated to one side that there has to be a little bit of like a aggressive push um, from the other side to balance it out. And so the balancing is um, is taking place and and some of that will be aggressive. But that's literally just part of the process. At least that's how I see it. And that's how that's how the spirit reveals itself, how it reveals it to me. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, we see that in a lot of other processes, even in, you know, early childhood development and stuff. You have a little bit of an aggressive push in the teenage years as that person is coming into being, as that person is coming into their own sense of self. And that can be applied to the same situation. There's just a little bit of, um, you know, fire involved as, as the thing is expanding. Um, but I think going back to what you were saying, I think, and I know this is part of, you know, why we chose the creation relation word is because, you know, a lot of people say, well, what about the people on the earth? You can't care about the earth. Like, why care about the environment when you should be caring about the people? What we don't realize or what we forget or put to the other side of our minds is that one affects the other. And this is in scholarship, a uh, like layered feet deep um, in terms of the other, the capital O other is basically everything that's not a man. That includes creation, that includes women, that includes um, um, disabled, those include um, minority groups, that includes animals, that includes um, that includes different natural phenomenon. Like this, it's a it's an overall attitude. So by addressing like one aspect of the of that collective of that collective other so by highlighting that environmental aspect you really do speak to all of the other groups and people and creatures that are experiencing the same thing it's like a domino effect and i think we'll see that and we are seeing that um in a whole variety of ways yeah no i think exactly and you know, if let's say, you know, all the rainforest were to be chopped down and then that, that affects the weather patterns that then affects the rain, which then brings great drought, which then, you know, 25, 50 million people starve to death because of the drought or 100 million. You know, that's how it, it, it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And I do want to add this. I felt this, um, you know, again, we're not anti-male, we're not anti-man, of course, obviously. Uh it's just we're talking about these things that aren't normally talked about, especially in Christian contexts, especially in mystical Christian contexts. Um, you know, so obviously a lot of this is talked about out, out in the world, I guess you could say. Uh, but we have to start being honest and real with ourselves or the Christians will be left behind. And... Um, Again, it's not that we think that no more men should be in power or no more men should be in any of these positions or any of that. It's not It's not about that. It's just about realizing that there are more than one seat at the table. Yeah. And, um, and it's saying, here, come, come, sit, sit down at the table. Let us discuss. Let us, let us work together. And let us honor and empower one another. And let us 
uh, understand each other and um, let us take the best out of what each of us has to offer uh, to really impact and shape how the world is seen and how we re- and how we relate to it. So, yeah, and this conversation has an amazing way of revealing those things inside ourselves, um, those those triggers or those sensitivities inside ourselves that are from bad programming. And if that's you, that's okay. If you're like flinching at, you know, half of the things we've been saying, that's okay. It's all a part of the process and acknowledging that those things exist inside of ourselves and choosing what we want to do with them. Yeah, exactly. And I will again say, you know, when we talk about creation relation, we're not just talking about the earth too, because the heaven is the heavens are created as well. Yes, that was my one of my questions for you. Okay, go for it. My question was, so you primarily focus on the new earth in your episode. And I think it was only at one part where you talk just a tiny bit about the new heavens, but I wondered if you could expand on what you think the new heavens are. Um whether that's space or some other expanded dimensional context you want to talk about. But what what do you see the new heavens as and um, how should we think about them? Yeah, so I think for me, the first actual biblical example of the new heavens is referenced in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it mentions that... Um, that the blood of Jesus not only cleansed the earthly temple, but the heavenly temple and all of its items. So heaven shifted. Heaven changed. This is what people don't understand. They think heaven is a static thing. It's a living or these hyper-dimensional divine spaces. Um, it's changing. It's alive. And it's it gets impacted by the earth. And um, so we see that in in Hebrews, the first real shift textually, let's say, uh, where we see the new heavens and that was part of it. So when we say new heavens too, it's, it's, it's one moment, it was the old and the next moment it's the new. And so it's constantly new. It's constantly being remade. It's constantly being formed. It's constantly being adjusted. It's constantly alive. It's, it's a living reality. Uh, but yeah, it's it's space will sh- probably change in some d- degree. Um, but more specifically, it's yeah, space will change, and more specifically, you know, the way that or these 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 heavenly worlds, we'll call them that the divine spaces or the hyperdimensional divine spaces. Um, again, they're, they're constantly being made new and they're constantly being renewed at each and every moment. And, you know, actually the, the group that, that really gets this is, is of course the Jews to a lot of extent with, um, you know, Nefesh, uh, Nefesh, Nefesh Ha-Chaim. Yeah, yeah, Nefesh Ha-Chaim. Ha-Chaim. Yeah, Nefesh Ha-Chaim. Yeah, Nefesh Zoom. Um, they talk about and they understand that what you do and how you open yourself up here, you know, shifts what happens there because it's all interconnected. Again, it's about interconnection. Mm. Um, and so we think of, you know, is the old heaven a bad heaven? Well, no, it's not bad. It's just that work. It's again, the, the point is, is that it's a it's a progressive reality. It's a progressive reality. If you can understand that, you can really understand the living, breathing, organic nature of everything in existence. And again, heaven isn't, it wasn't heaven and then the earth was created. It was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, It's a simultaneous interrelational um, unfolding that exists um, both dependently well, yeah, dependently, I don't even know if dependently, but they existed simultaneously in the unfolding of God's creative process. Mm. So, and I think that's another way of just saying that anything that exists in form, anything that exists in sort of a conscious conceptual space of reality, you know, um, 
in the creative in the creation story you know exists and unfolds simultaneously and the best way the best picture that i see it is like origami um, origami is un unified but then distinct there are these differences it's not to say that there isn't difference a difference exists but it's also unified so and the differences are within the folds and the folds um, exhibit and and become the objects of our perceptions but there is still this unity that layers all things and is in all things and you know the spirit is is that and isn't that so it's a tricky thing i love it it's so important you're starting to talk like jesus now oh what no <laughs> no no in a good way like it 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 is this way and it isn't this way and oh, okay. having one you know one side of the parallel the parable show this and then the next parable seems to show a completely different side of the coin yeah. so much so that it almost seems like a different coin yeah. but it's just a different side yeah 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 so it's it's a you know they're both created they're both creative um both created worlds so yeah one of the other things that, that i just wanted to briefly talk about too was you know and a lot of this mystical movement i'm not really sure who started it but there's this weird language of you know not being tethered to the earth um that's a very bizarre thing. I understand what's being said, but it's it's not being actually communicated very well, I feel like, in that linguistic thing, because it 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 once again, language is important. It kind of demonizes the earth. Yes, it does. Um the the goal isn't I the idea of what's being said there is clearly um don't be so like uh, don't fall asleep to essentially this world is the only sort of reality. Don't don't fall asleep and just become a pure materialist. Understand that there's more to what you see that meets the eye. That there's that there's that there's other things going on, and I think that's important. Um, but yeah, there is an important thing of being connected to the earth and and hearing it and listening to it and feeling it and understanding its processes and. Um, understanding it's it's life and you can't be a quote son or enter into sonship or whatever you want to call it or daughtership or you know however we want to call it moving forward that isn't truly a masculine only word um but how do we you know how when you operate in that you can't just be like i'm going to be a superhero and shoot like lightning bolts and destroy everything like like uh you know the james and, james john. and john wanted jesus to do you yeah. know it's a clearly you know there's a relational aspect again and to be insensitive <clears throat> to it is to really you know shorten or cut off a large part of what it means to um, walk in the spirit yeah i think that's really important and you know I never say this, but that's actually one of the few things I think is actually very Gnostic. And uh, the whole un being untethered from the earth. I Demonizing the material world and devaluing matter in every sense and leaving behind, quote, the earth and all of its, um, you know, materia and dirtiness and, you know, grossness in terms of even its heaviness um that's uh, that's 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 early um that's what the early christian church called heresy and um i don't agree with um i don't think it matches up with anything jesus said uh and the values that um that matter and the body and to be really honest, I think a lot of that stuff was um, also very anti-Jewish um, because in early Judaism and back to ancient Israelite um, traditions, 
the body and matter and how we interact with the earth is of primary and central importance. Um, And that's still the case for a lot of Jewish communities today is staying in touch with one's body um, and the body takes part in in the restoration, the redemption, um, the healing, and is the mediator in a lot of ways for how we experience the divine. Yeah, I think that's beautifully well put. So we're getting about an hour here. Do you have any closing remarks? Closing remarks or questions? I have so many more questions. Really? No, not that many. I didn't think so. Um, But I think maybe practically, could I ask you, how how specifically can we do this on a daily basis and i know that it's different for each person and that's something i'll definitely emphasize and encourage every person to be free in their uniqueness and how they relate to the earth and relate to creation on the whole i think that developing your own practice and connection like for example for me Growing up, the ocean was my number one jam, and the ocean, going to the sea, um, putting my toes in the sand, listening to the waves, and this is something that we do all the time for spiritual, emotional, and physical resets, really. Um, it's, it's one of the places where I find the, the biggest exchange, and so without you know, sort of minimizing everyone's individual ways that they can look back and see how they've cultivated those practices over their lives. Are there any things that you would recommend to us or how to, how to sensitize ourselves? Man. Okay. Well, I like two things that popped into my head. I mean, there's a lot of ways, Yeah, right. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is recycle if you can, or try to, Mm. um, I mean, that's like super simple. I know probably our European listeners are like, duh. Uh, exactly. <laughs> second, um, but that's still not on trend in America. Um, <laughs> secondly, you know, don't throw your trash on the ground. Throw mm-hmm. it in the trash can, please. Um, three, you know, even if you live in an apartment, buy yourself a plant. Just buy yourself a couple plants, water it, just kind of just you know, get used to being around nature and plants, especially for those, for us urbanites. Um, And if you have a yard, you know, plant yourself a garden, have yourself a little bit of, plant yourself a couple trees, plant some flowers, uh, you know, enjoy the the creative process with that. And I think those are some easy first steps. And um, just become sensitive to to it and notice how the plants you know shift and move and and how they grow and and how they change through your experience with them what does it mean if i kill if i've killed a lot of plants man (laughs) uh well (laughs) i don't know probably not Not much not intentionally i just uh it's just I'm getting better. You are you've got are gotten better and you've gotten a lot better. Yeah, we have we have two living plants here. That for a while. Yes. It's my longest record. Yeah. Helps that one of them's a succulent. <laughs> I have killed those two. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's just it's just all part of our process. And we're none of that's again like there's grace. Like none of us is per none of us are perfect. You know, don't don't whip yourself, don't beat yourself up over all this. Just work it one step at a time. Notice Google, you know, notice certain things that are happening in the world. Um, you know, pay attention. Don't just get caught up in the political drama of all of this of, oh, this is this and this is this. This is way beyond that. This is way beyond the political drama. Um, this is something that um, we need to rise above and still recognize its need and its importance so yeah i think that's really important to emphasize yeah one thing that i do is i've and this is no judgment on anyone who does this but i used to pick a lot of flowers and i've actually stopped picking flowers for the most part and instead i stop and i smell them for a long time and um 
this is really it's changed my walking style and it's changed how I think about beauty and shouldn't I just let beauty keep growing shouldn't I just be the mother of all living and just keep letting it be alive why do I have to take it into my house and then watch it die I don't know it's just an interesting food for thought yeah, and it's not it's not that you're anti picking flower no, either. Anti- we have flowers right here that yeah, have been picked. I have picked. a bunch of flowers here. But <clears throat> just saying. Yeah. No, I think that's a beautiful thing. And you know, here's something you can do. This may sound a little cheesy, but for real. You know, if you're walking around and you pick a flower, look at the plant and say, Hello plant. Thank you so much for this beautiful flower. Mm. Do you mind if I pick you? Is it okay if I take this with me? Thank you so much for creating this wonderful beauty. And if you feel like it's inside, again, be sensitive. If you feel like, yeah, I can, you know, I feel totally free to pick this. Then pick it. If you feel like, you know what, I feel like I'm supposed to leave it. Then leave it. And it's just that sort of like little fun experimental things that you begin to do that creates that symbiotic relationship. That's so harmonious and balanced. I like that approach much better. (laughs) I think I'll adopt that. Great. Well, thank you all for listening. And we appreciate it. And this has been a little fun mini series. It has been. Thanks for sticking with us. And yeah, may the spirit go with you. May the Holy Spirit go with you. And may um, the grace and goodness of the divine just flow through you in your life and in this season and may you just be wholly blessed and in all parts of your being shalom shalom thank you for listening to the ruach podcast For practices and courses in Christian meditation and mysticism, visit ruach.com. That's R-O-O-A-K-H dot com. See you soon.